You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 978 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Friday evening, and today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, you'll receive 15% off your next order with Built Bar. Today's podcast will focus mostly on what became a pretty impressive win for the Hawks on this Friday evening. A final score of 118-103 to at home against the Miami Heat, and the Hawks win this game very shorthanded. No Trey Young, of course, after the injury that he suffered earlier this week, and also no Click Capella in this spot. As a result, the Hawks were underdogs and took, took care of business in a big way. In fact, it was a tie-breaking win for Atlanta because the Heat and the Hawks were tied uh, in the season series, and now if they tie at the end of the season, the Hawks will have a slight t- uh, edge there as well. A nice little sweetener to what was already an impressive night and uh, fun times had by all on the Hawks' side. Before we get to the game, though, there is the Trey Young update cycle that ha- happened in the last day or so, so we'll start there. Um, Trey, of course, went down on Wednesday with a pretty scary-looking ankle injury. We will say he definitely made some uh, loud noises and was clearly in some pain. The Hawks then announced um, that he was going to be out for the rest of the game pretty quickly there. First, he visited with ESPN's The Jump on Thursday before he had an MRI and said he was fortunate to be wearing his, his, his ankle braces when he actually suffered the injury on Wednesday. That he felt much better about it than when, when it actually first happened, which was the first uh, bit of positive news. Then, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that he had a grade 2 lateral left ankle sprain, which was a good sign overall. And also, the expectation is that Young can return when the swelling and discomfort dissipate, which is the way that uh, Wojnarowski put it in his report. Again, hugely positive news overall that leaked out before the Hawks actually announced it. Then the Hawks finally announced the official diagnosis of a lateral left ankle sprain. They did not mention grade two, nor did they mention grade at all. So that's kind of in keeping with the Hawks not giving you a whole lot in the injury information um, releases. But the Hawks then officially ruled Young out for both tonight's game on Friday and also Sunday's game against Milwaukee, which is no surprise. Obviously, if you watched that injury, you could not assume that he was going to be back in the next couple of days. So only two games being ruled out is a pretty good sign, although at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean anything um, specifically. The Hawks then hit the road, of course, by the way, on Monday. Um, they go to Detroit and then Philadelphia, so that's something to circle. There is no timeline firmly to return from the Hawks or even for reevaluation at this point in time. Um, it's worth noting that injury expert Jeff Stotts reported that the average, again, I say average recovery time for a grade two sprain like this one this season has been 18 days. So about two and a half weeks. You can't you can't assume that is gospel because that's the average. So obviously there's there's some that are less than that, some that are more than that. Um, Trey has been resilient in his career. He's been pretty quick uh, as a healer so far uh, in his uh, various injuries throughout his uh, pretty brief career. But at the same time, it's uh, ankle, ankle sprains are kind of finicky in a lot of ways. But if you used 18 days from Wednesday, that would take Young basically until the last four games of the season to come back. Um, if I had to guess, and again, this is a pure guess, I would say I would take the under on that as in terms of him actually playing before that, I would say based on the way that he was feeling upbeat and all that stuff. But at the same time, he could be out for a little bit of time here. 
the Hawks do need him pretty badly. Obviously, they won this game tonight, and they're actually four and two without Trey this year, which I think is a little bit fluky. They do need him, obviously, to reach their goals this season, and they want to be careful with him. Obviously, you know, ankle ankle sprains may not be like a long term lasting thing, but at the same time, they need him full strength for the playoffs if they uh, obviously want to have the ability to make a dent at that point in time. So. Um, for the, by the way, before tonight, the Hawks uh, were plus 4.5 net rating with him on the court and minus, minus 3.7 with him off the court. So, you know, that's a big swing, and it's very obvious that Trey Young is important to this team offensively in particular. But uh, there you go on that. I, again, last thing on Trey's injury, just a very positive report overall. Like, there's always some level of uncertainty with injury stuff, and this year even more so without any, like, direct access. We're all kind of relying more so on Zooms and official injury reports and all that stuff, but everyone seems upbeat around the Hawks right now. Uh, part of that's just obviously with them winning, but even with, even with around Trey, they're seemingly it's pretty optimistic. So it could have been worse, obviously, on Wednesday. So uh, generally strong start to Friday. Um, and by the time Friday's game actually started, the Hawks were not supposed to win this game on paper. <laughs> we'll go to the game now, obviously, but Miami came in winning the last three in a row, last three in a row. Um, the two teams split the meetings before this year. They were one and one um, at the end of February and beginning of March. You might remember this because it was a pretty uh, landmark time in this Hawks season. The first game between the Hawks and the Heat in Miami was the last game of the Lloyd Pierce era. The first game, sorry, the second game of the Miami um, set was the first game of the McMillan era. And that kind of tells you um, what was going on back then. It was obviously the end of February into the beginning of March. And Butler didn't play in those games, so it was not necessarily indicative of what was going to be happening in the future. And Butler is their centerpiece. Evil Bam Adebayo is very good. Butler's been the guy who's kind of driving their success more so, I would say, this year overall. At the same time, Miami is a much healthier team coming in. There was some uh, drama around Tyler Hero, who was close to his question, but he ended up playing. Um, other than Old Depot, who missed this game, they were largely healthy, whereas the Hawks obviously were not. Um, once Capella left the game on Wednesday... It was definitely a question mark. The Hawks were off yesterday. They listed him as questionable with a back contusion, but McMillan said that he that he was going to be ruled out in the pregame. Um, he did get asked about Sunday. He said it was too early to know about that, so that's another big question moving forward is Capella, how long he'll be out, but still a back contusion is probably about as good as you could have hoped with the way that he landed and all, all, all the pain that he was in. So that's probably not a long-term injury, you would hope. Fingers crossed there, but no Capella in this game, and he's been awesome this year, so that's a bit, obviously a big loss. But Gallinari coming back ended up being big. We'll get into him more later on, but he ended up coming back after missing the last six games with the foot soreness that he had. He was a game-time decision, but ended up playing in the spot. Tony Snell upgraded to doubtful, which I know is kind of a weird thing to say out loud, but he had been out just kind of full stop since, since the injury to his ankle. A small upgrade to doubtful. He did not play in this game, but at least that's a little foreshadowing for him to actually be, be able to play in, in the uh, near future, I should say. At the same time, still out in this game. Troy Young out in this game. Hunter, Dunn, Reddish still out and no changes there. So the Hawks were missing a bunch of guys in this spot. In fact, Atlanta only had 11 active players. Only nine played, but uh, pretty short-handed, we'll say, overall. And as a result, our friends at Madeline AG had the Hawks as six-and-a-half-point underdogs, even at home. And honestly, that kind of made sense. Obviously, the Hawks were... They played, they played much better than the Heat did in this game and ended up earning the win. And, you know, being an underdog is many you're going to lose. But on paper, they're not supposed to win this game. And that's a credit to McMillan and the way the Hawks were resilient in this spot to get a victory. So, plenty more to come on the game itself. But first, before we dive in, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular, and if anything, it's more delicious than ever. 
Built Bar has a ton of amazing flavors that we've been talking about for quite some time on the podcast. That includes options with or without nuts. And it also features some of my personal favorites like lemon almond cheesecake and cookies and cream. Each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're also soft and easy to chew, making the entire experience all that much better. And Built Bar is also great if you're trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while enjoying something that tastes absolutely incredible. Built Bar is also low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. My personal favorite, as i said a number of times, is cookies and cream, and the profile there from the health perspective is awesome. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It is a fantastic time to check out BuiltBar.com. Yes, that's BuiltBar.com. If you go there right now, you have 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. If you use that promo code, once again, it's LOCKED15. That's 15% off on your next order with BuiltBar.com. Check it all out. There's plenty to check out at BuiltBar.com, and I recommend all the flavors. You can find it all at BuiltBar.com, and you can try BuiltBar today. One more time, promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, we'll dive into the game now, and right at the top, there's plenty to talk about because the Hawks played a starting lineup in this game that was interesting. Um, In fact, it was a five-man unit that had not played together all season long, which is not usually what you would see. Obviously, the injuries dictate that in a big way, but you don't normally start a unit that's not played together at all, and that's what happened here. The Hawks ended up starting big with the pairing of Herter and Bogdanovich in the backcourt with Solomon Hill at the three with Collins and Okongwu. Um, I think... And I'm not sure McMillan got into this. I don't think he did, actually, after the game. I think it was probably because they wanted Solomon Hill to guard Jimmy Butler, and that was probably the impetus there. Because they didn't, they actually didn't switch a lot. I thought it might be because they wanted to switch a lot. They didn't really do that in this game. I might have considered going with Collins at the 5 with Solomon Hill at the 4 to do that. But at the end of the day, it ended up working out well. Although a big part of the success in this game ended up being Goodwin and, and Lou Williams off the bench um, because they both played. But uh, interesting decisions from McMillan ended up working out well. And, and Solomon Hill did a good job on Butler for the most part in this game. At any rate, the Hawks actually started out this game winning, winning 5 nothing um, out of the gates. But and then it was a 12-2 run by Miami. They're... In, I guess in retrospect, their best run of the game was at the very beginning of the game, a 12-2 push there from the Heat. Um, then the Hawks kind of found their footing offensively, made a bunch of jump shots. Both Hill and Herter hit three, stopped the bleeding a little bit. The Hawks actually opened this game red hot. They were 9-13 of from the floor and 4-5 of from three, but were still losing. Uh, Conway had a nice finish, some good shooting from, from the perimeter. They went to Nathan Knight as the uh, sort of fourth big and ninth man in this game. Uh, that was, I guess, the logical decision because the Hawks only had, again, 11 guys, and that included Mays, Fernando, and Knight. So you got to kind of play one of them. It, w- it would have been hard to go through a whole game with eight guys, so Knight got the call as the ninth, and uh, he was out there for uh, some, of that, some of that successful bench time. They went with the unit of Lou, Goodwin, Herter, Gallinari, and Knight. That lineup is not going to work in a broad sense because defensively it's just hard to see them getting stops with Lou, Gallinari, and Knight on the court together. But right now, again, they're still shorthanded, so they had kind of had to do something like that in this spot. Hawks ended up taking the lead in the final minute of the first quarter of a nice pass from Goodwin to Knight for a dunk. And then Lou ran a great pick and roll with Knight to get a layup on the last trip to put the Hawks up 31-30. The Hawks shot 62% from the floor in the first quarter, and uh, Bogdanovich got eight points and four assists. Actually, Miami shot 65% from the floor, and they were losing at the end of the first quarter, which is uh, not normally what happens. But uh, lots of offense in this game was a theme. In fact, in the second quarter, both teams stayed incredibly red hot. The Hawks took the lead at 40-37, but both teams were shooting 65% or more for about the first quarter and a half, which is really kind of crazy. Gallinari got settled in quickly. After his six-game absence, he had seven points in the first nine minutes. Looked kind of like himself, you know, not not a guy who's, who relies on his athleticism, which is probably helpful to him having him get back integrated. He just kind of shoots over guys, which is a success for the most part. 
defensively, kind of an adventure, but always is. Um, Hill had a nice three-point play going like pretty much right through Tyler Hero, who's much smaller, obviously, but Hill, sort of a, reven- a, reven- a, a, a revenge game against his old team in Miami. Um, the Hawks pushed the lead up to 54-47. They're largely the, at that point in time, Miami made a nice little run from there. But Millen had to call a timeout because they gave up back-to-back turnovers. That he was not very happy at all by that. Um, in fact, there was some weird officiating in the second quarter. Um, Solomon Hill was very upset after being whistled for a foul in transition against Jimmy Butler. Um, McMillan then challenged that pretty instantly. Won that one. It was an offensive foul on Butler. And then about a minute later, Butler got his third foul defensively. Miami challenged it, and they won their challenge as well, taking the foul off. So not great for the officiating crew to lose two challenges, basically, against the coaches in about a minute. And that's what happened there. Um, the Hawks didn't score, though, late in the second quarter for about two minutes and 40 seconds. And the Heat scored seven points in a row, took the lead. That was their last big push, really, of the whole game in retrospect. But uh, Miami, well, I guess that in the beginning of the third quarter, but which we'll get into in a second. But that kind of allowed the Heat to hang around. But the Hawks did score um, well at the very, very end to take a one-point lead at the half. The Hawks shot the ball great. That was a theme throughout the game. Throughout the game. Both teams had nine turnovers each in the first half, which was kind of the only thing that really got stops for either side was turnovers. But uh, the Hawks had real balance throughout the game, and that continued in the second half. Um, after halftime, as I sort of said a second ago, the Heat had their one push, and it was actually the first eight points of the third quarter were all to Miami. The Hawks missed two threes and turned it over twice, and then uh, the Heat hit two, actually made two threes and had a layup. So it was an 8-0 run. McMillan was pretty upset in the timeout, it looked like. I'm not sure if it was about the team or the officiating or what. He was not very happy when the Hawks were down by seven there. It looked to be teetering. Obviously, given the available roster, no one would have like really blamed the Hawks if they kind of not packed it in but had not um, had their counterpunch there. But obviously they did, winning the rest of the game by more than 20 points in the final like 20 minutes. Pretty impressive stuff from Atlanta overall. The first uh, blow was Bogdanovich hitting a pretty difficult three to beat the buzzer on the shot clock. That was a big bucket after about three minutes of not scoring, and then her hit a three on the next possession, and that kind of reset the whole thing. But I just had another three there to tie, to tie the game. And from there, it was basically just offense trading buckets on both sides, with the uh, teams scoring at a high clip. Like, and then Gallinari hit back-to-back threes. First one was kind of a walk-in three, and then another one out of a timeout to put the Hawks up 85-80. to 80. Um, Gallo was 5-7 from the floor his first 20, sorry, his first 12 minutes of time. He was uh, quite good and quite efficient. And then it was the backcourt from Gwinnett County, my uh, my home county, I, I will say, taking it over at the end of the third quarter and in the fourth. So Goodwin, who was awesome in this game, eight points in the last 90 seconds of the third quarter to give the Hawks a six-point lead at the end of the uh, third. An awesome stretch there from Goodwin, and the Hawks got a lot from the bench really overall, but particularly in that stretch from Gallinari first, then Goodwin, and then Lou Williams. In the fourth, Goodwin got a tip-in to give the Hawks a nine-point lead, and then after a timeout, the Hawks got two more stops in a row, and Lou scored five points, and suddenly the Hawks go from you know up like two late in the third to up by 14 with 9.28 to go in the game. An 8-0 run to open the fourth quarter, a pretty just awesome barrage, and they were scoring about 1.4 points per possession for the game at that point, just kind of really pouring it on against Miami. They got two more stops from there. Goodwin made a a reverse layup to go up by 16, and that wasn't like, it wasn't over, but that was kind of it, in retrospect. It was pretty stagnant from there at times, but there was one, like, minor threat that came through that we'll talk about now for a second. Hawks up 15 with about five and a half minutes to go. Um, They got to the line, the Heat did, back-to-back times to cut the lead down to 11 with 4.58 to go. 
Then Gallinari missed a jumper, and then Duncan Robinson, who was one of the best shooters in the league, missed a wide-open three that would have cut the lead to eight. Now, would the Hawks have lost the game? Probably not, but that was a big shot. But then the Hawks turned it over again. They got to the line again that the Heat did to cut, cut the lead down to nine. Herder missed another jump shot. The Hawks just couldn't score there for a while. And then, once again, Jimmy Butler this time missed a wide-open three that was sort of a rattle-around shot. It goes out, and then Solomon Hill finally breaks a four-minute scoring drought for the Hawks with a layup to go back up by 11. And then after another miss from Robinson, who was brutal in this stretch. By the way, Robinson Butler missed four straight threes in this time. And once, once that didn't go in, it was pretty much it for Atlanta. And then sort of a celebratory dagger at the very end from Bogdanovich that sort of caused the bench eruption when the game was really put away. So... Before we get to the takeaways and stuff, uh, the fourth quarter was obviously all Hawks. And even then, the Hawks didn't score a lot in the fourth. It was actually their worst offensive quarter of the game, pretty considerably, with 23 points. But the Heat scored 14 points in the fourth. Um, McMillan repeatedly credited Okongwu with his defensive prowess in the fourth quarter. I definitely agree with that. Um, But the Heat shot 3 of 16 from the floor and 0 of 6 from 3 in the fourth. Part of that's the Heat missing shots, to be sure. But the Hawks did play well defensively down the stretch. And, uh, you know, again, this is, a heat, this is a Heat team that made the finals last year. You would expect the Heat to execute. They've been definitely a little bit weird this year, to be fair. They've been very inconsistent and kind of enigmatic. But the Hawks, you know, closing very strongly against a veteran team is impressive. And uh, with that fourth quarter um, sort of clamps defensively, that was enough to get the win. Okay, before we get to some takeaways and some individual breakdown stuff from this game, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL, auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine, you can find it at BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50% and a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll wrap the show up today with some takeaways and some individual breakdowns as always. Um, broadly speaking, the Hawks won this game on offense. Um, the bench at 51 points, which is a lot considering how much the bench has struggled at times. Part of that's Gallinari coming back, but also Goodwin and Woods were both very good in this game. Atlanta scored about 1.28 points per possession for the game, which is absolutely outstanding, particularly without Trey Young on the court. That is a uh, staggeringly good, even in a pretty slow-paced game. The Hawks turned it over a lot 14 times, but only five after halftime. That's more than acceptable for sure. And then they, they just shot great. Um, 67% true shooting which is uh, obviously fantastic. 54% from the floor, 43% from three, 15 of 35, by the way, and then uh, 89% from the line. So just a fantastic, efficient performance across the board. And basically everyone shot the ball at least reasonably well. No one on the entire roster was below 40% shooting in this game. Uh, The worst shooters, quote-unquote, were Herder at 4 of 9, Gallinari at 5 of 11, and Lou at 5 of 11. So that tells you it was a balanced 
efficient effort from everyone that shot the basketball. And then same thing with threes. Um, the only guy who didn't shoot it well from three was Brendan Goodwin, who was one of five. Everybody else was 33% or higher. So, yeah, just an impressive showing overall offensively. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure how else to put it. They just kind of score at will against a pretty good defense, at least on paper. Um, they also won the glass in this game on both ends of the floor. Not dominant without Capella, for sure, but they did not lose the glass. And honestly, it was kind of a, be- it was kind of a, a boost for them. Um, they got eight, eight, eight offensive rebounds to only six for the Heat. Um, they, you know, rebounded at a pretty adequate level on both, on both ends of the floor and ended up winning that. And uh, a high steal rate for the Hawks as well. So lots of positive stuff offensively. Defensively, as I said a second ago, like, it wasn't great. Um, even with the fourth quarter struggles from Miami, they still ended up scoring at about a league average rate offensively. So that kind of tells you where they were until the fourth. So the Hawks were not getting a ton of stops. Again, without Capella... That's to be expected. By the way, I wrote a whole thing about Capella's awesome season today on Dime, which you can find that I tweeted out if you want to find that. But uh, sort of just lauding Capella for his individual brilliance this year. And definitely you feel it when he's off the court. But uh, as we'll get into in a second with the Kongwu, like the Hawks did a good job, especially in the fourth quarter, getting stops. And for the whole game, they definitely made life difficult for Bam Adebayo in particular, and Butler was just okay as well. It wasn't like they, they were dominant by any means. So the Hawks didn't get a ton of stops in, in the first three quarters, but part of that was some hot shooting, and also when it mattered, they generated all kinds of havoc defensively. Um, to the individual stuff in this game, as I said before, nine guys played. Nathan Knight was the one guy who played less than 20 minutes. Uh, he was 11 minutes, 2-2 two two from the floor, both very easy buckets, but they had about a minute of each other, a dunk and a layup. Um, had four rebounds, four points. Defensively, you know, always kind of an adventure, and uh, the Hawks did make it to where in the second half he, he did not play against Bam Adebayo. That was that was a wise decision, I thought, to get him away from that. But he held his own for the most part, at least giving his uh, normal activity. Um, elsewhere, Goodwin and Williams both awesome in this game off the bench. Goodwin, 17 points in 22 minutes, four assists, three rebounds. He had that one just massive flurry at the end of the third quarter that basically put the Hawks in a great position. And uh, kudos to him for staying ready as well. And it's sort of a weird game, again, where they didn't start either one of the point guards. They both played very, very well off the bench. Lou Williams did Lou Williams stuff, 13 points, two assists, two steals in 20, 20 minutes. He was efficient, made his only three-point attempt, and, uh, you know, just cooking, as always. And then Gallinari, welcome back. He missed two weeks of time, six games, 17 points, five rebounds, just in kind of an easy 17 as well, just shooting the ball comfortably, using his size. And honestly, it, he's obviously a good player anyway, but... If they had not gotten Gallinari back, and he was a game-time decision, it was not a guarantee he was going to play. If he misses this game, they have to replace those minutes with somebody else, <laughs> and the starters all played a ton, so it would have been kind of difficult. Obviously, the Hawks ended up winning this game by 15 points, but um, if he didn't play, they would have had to go to a lot more Knight or Fernando or some combination of smaller guys or whatever, and that would have made a, would have been a lot more difficult, offensively in particular. So he was, he was plus 13. By the way, the entire bench... Uh, Gallo, plus 13. Knight, plus 9. Goodwin, plus 19 to lead the team and the entire game. And Lou, plus 16. They demolished Miami's bench. Everyone on Miami's bench, other than Dwayne Devin, old friend, was minus 17 or worse. So, uh, bench versus bench, a dominant effort from Atlanta, including 51 points off the, uh, from the reserves. Up to the starters. Uh, Solomon Hill. Credit to him for playing a team-high minute, 36. Nine points, four rebounds, three steals, and assist. Uh, is, is he the guy you would drop in a lab to guard Jimmy Butler? Probably not, but he, he's definitely the guy on the on the active roster tonight that was the best option, and that's kind of why he ended up playing a ton, kind of shadowing Jimmy's minutes. Um, did a good job on him, for the most part. Um, 
plays did sort of Solomon Hill stuff. The one uh, drive to the rim on Hero was kind of funny, just kind of putting the uh, undersized guard into the basket. But uh, just kind of a very much on-brand Solomon Hill game across the board. Akongwu was the least um, productive in terms of his scoring and also the minutes, but I thought he played very, very well. Tough matchup for him, obviously, playing against a Heat team that's a bunch of veterans and out of bounds an all-star, but um, again, McMillan really lauded him in the fourth quarter after the game, and I think he earned that. Um, for the game, six points, seven rebounds, an assist, a steal, a block. He did have five fouls, but I thought he was active and aggressive. He really kind of walled off defensively a number of times, and it might have been his best defensive game of the season. I don't want to overstate it too much, but he was uh, he was good defensively. Was he like a massive part of the offense? No, but Kongwu played very well. And in this game, they had to have that happen because without, without Capella, they, they needed somebody to play to play defense um, in and around the rim. He was able to do that. So credit to the rookie for stepping up in this spot. And McMillan definitely sort of went out of his way to laud Kongwu, I think rightly so, in this spot. And then uh, Herder was just solid across the board, 11 points. Six assists, five steals for Herter, uh, four rebounds as well, four nine from the floor, three of eight from three. Had a couple of weird misses in the fourth that did not end up biting the Hawks because they got stops as well, but that would have sort of been something to circle. Before that, though, he played well. I thought he was just uh, very solid across the board. And then Bogdanovich, 21 points, eight assists to lead the team, plus one, a couple of huge shots uh, that they badly needed to sort of get it off the ground when they were really struggling early in the third quarter. Five of nine from three. By the way, Bogdanovich now, as I do this almost every podcast, he's shooting 49.6% from three in April. He's 57 of 115. Um, that is the, his 57 threes are comfortably number one in the East in the month of April, like for, by more than 10. Like he's dominating the competition. Steph Curry has more because Steph Curry is not even a human. But Bogdanovich has been so ridiculous. And you can tell, even the shots that he is taking right now, you can tell the immense confidence that he is displaying. And with good reason, like he had a couple of just like crazy, um, like pseudo contested step backs. Like one of them was forced and he missed it, but still, like the fact that he's uh, playing so aggressively is huge for the Hawks, and uh, he's got some swagger going right now. So credit to him. And then John Collins, twenty points, eight rebounds. I actually thought that John wasn't that good in this game, which is impressive that you can go, uh, you can go twenty and eight on efficient shooting in a game where you aren't that good. He got fouled a few times and that was uncalled as uh, as is always the case it feels like for Collins, but especially in the first half, he was kind of like tripping over himself a few times. He had four turnovers, kind of just some stu- some stumbling, but you look up at the end of the game and he did a lot, he did a lot well. He was the backup center as well when the Congo left the court. It was uh, it was Collins for the most part at the five. That was effective. So, and across the board, balanced win for Atlanta. And uh, again, you cannot overstate. It. I'll I'll do this now, but the Hawks getting the tiebreaker Winning this game as a seven-point dog um, without Capella, without Young, without Hunter, by the way, who's still out, without Snell, Reddish done, all that stuff. Having 11 guys active, just an incredibly impressive performance. Credit to McMillan, credit to the team for being so resilient. And uh, not that they were, like, drawing dead tonight. No no one would have said that, at least responsibly. But, again, not a game that I was expecting them to necessarily come out and win by 15 points. That was a surprising outcome in a positive way for the Hawks. Last thing before we get out of here. The standings. The Hawks are 33-27 and with this win. They're now tied with the Knicks. Now, because of the loss to the Knicks earlier this week, they do have the t- they do not have the tiebreaker. Um, actually, they were never going to have it with the Knicks because they had lost the first two games. But um, technically, though, they're tied with the Knicks, which means the Knicks have the four seed and the Hawks have the five seed right now. But Boston lost tonight, so the Hawks are now a, a game ahead of Boston. And they're two games ahead of Miami, and Miami 
lost the tiebreaker. So if you want to do the avoid the play-in game, which is what I've kind of been looking through the hourglass on for the most part, um, the Hawks essentially, I want to say essentially, not, not technically, but essentially have a three-game edge on the Heat because it's two games plus tiebreaker on Miami. So a massive win. Like even addition, in addition to the craziness of just winning this game by 15 points without those guys, getting the tiebreaker on Miami is not a small thing because I think the 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 lofty goal the last few weeks has been the number four seed. The secondary goal has been the five seed, but the uh, I would say the underlying goal the entire way is to avoid the play-in, and that way you guarantee yourself a playoff spot, and that means finishing in the top six. Especially with the injury now to Troy Young, um, and even Capella being banged up, I think finishing in the top six would be a massive outcome. Um, and with this win, they have a three-game edge on Miami, and that's just massive. So it can't be overstated. A fantastic win for the Hawks and a positive night at the office for everyone involved. Now, from here, the Hawks will play the Bucks at home on Sunday. Milwaukee uh, is obviously quite good, but Milwaukee's on the second night of a back-to-back. They actually play Saturday afternoon on national TV. I'm not sure if Milwaukee will bring everyone to Atlanta. I expect they probably will, but it wouldn't stun me if they were a little bit cautious with that one on a back-to-back. Regardless, the Hawks will not have Trey. That's already been announced. We'll see, we'll see about Capella, um, but... You know, that's a, that's a tough game for sure. Can they beat the Bucks? Absolutely, but that's not a game that I would, I would describe as easy. And then from there, you go on the road, beginning with a back-to-back on Monday in Detroit, and then a road trip to Philadelphia after that. So the schedule is not terribly easy. I know Detroit is not very good, but it's a back-to-back. That's, that's a test for sure. We'll have much more after the game on Sunday. But uh, circle that one, a primetime game Sunday against the Bucks. Always fun to see a good team on the other side of the floor. And we'll see if the Hawks can respond to this big win with, a, with another one on Sunday evening. So that'll do it for me today and for this week, a jam-packed five-episode week for you guys to listen to. If you missed any of this podcast, it is all still available on the archive on your podcast player of choice. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. Thank you as always, thank you as always for listening to the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you all after the game on Sunday.